have with me today a man that, that a leader that I have admired for many, many years during my law enforcement career. And, uh, and that is Chief James Craig from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Chief, you've got a, an amazing background and you're an incredible leader. Uh, tell us about yourself real briefly. Well, uh, Bessie, thanks for having me on your show. Um, well, I started my policing career 44 years ago right here in the city of Detroit. Laid off after two and a half years, moved to Los Angeles where I spent 28 years at, with the LAPD, rose up the ranks, uh, retired, and became a chief of police in Portland, Maine, of all places, from Southern California to the Northeast. So I was a chief there for two years. After two years of being in Portland, Maine, I went on to Cincinnati and became the police chief there. And after two years there, can't keep a job. <laughs> I, I come home. Uh, and become the chief of police here in the city of Detroit now, seven and a half years. Wow. So, so chief, let me get right into it. You know, here you are, the chief of one of the largest police departments in the nation, in one of the roughest cities. And, yes. uh, and, and all around us is talk about defunding the police and, and you know, how bad the police are and so much needs to change. How are you dealing with that in Detroit? Well, you know, I, I got to tell you, one, you have to speak out boldly. You know, we can talk about, you hear this, these commentary about defunding, uh, disbanding, and uh, reimagining policing. The problem is who's making those statements? And are those statements representative of the people that our departments are serving? I can tell you here in Detroit, it doesn't represent Detroiters. It doesn't represent Metro Detroit. Detroit. What we do know is these folks come in here very organized, calculating, and they have an agenda. And their agenda does not match Detroit. And so, yeah, that might work in some cities. We've seen the rioting and looting in some major cities across America during the many days and weeks of protests. And the question is, why did it happen here in Detroit? Well, one reason I can tell you with certainty is we have great partnerships with our community. And I'm talking about trust-based partnerships. I'm not saying that we're perfect, but what I am suggesting that this community has come to know me, this department, they trust us. They know we'll make mistakes, but we own them. Uh, but the key here is the relationship. And that includes our local activists. So when the protests started to happen, and we started to watch some of the violence in many other cities. And while we had a few rough days, but no looting, no burning, nothing on that order. And the reason is uh, we had local activists that would literally get on the ground and walk with us during these protests to manage these outsiders who tried to incite and influence violence. And they just frankly weren't successful. And they, they're not going to be, not here in Detroit. And so that's what kind of makes us so different. Uh, and Detroiters have said it to me almost daily. They don't speak for us. They just need to go home, go back to their communities and protest. We don't want you here. And so even when they called for my resignation at one point, uh, Detroiters denounced it and they just said, go home. But, but really, People in my seat as police leaders, uh, we can no longer sit back and do nothing and say nothing. 
And, and that's why when you look at some of these cities, uh, police officers have had enough. They don't feel supported. They're leaving. And in a lot for a, a lot of reasons, but I can tell you if political leadership is silent and not backing the police officers who by majority do a wonderful job, you know that Betsy, the vast majority of our police officers do it right. And when we have that very small number to get it wrong, then we deal with that. And we do it in a very transparent way and the community can appreciate that. What would you like to say to other police leaders about maintaining the order that you do? And yet you have that community support and officer support. You're kind of an anomaly these days. Well, I appreciate that. And I will tell you, uh, no longer can police chiefs or administrators wait. Time is not our friend. Social media can certainly not be our friend. You talked about one of the uh, officer-involved shootings we had here. And this was in the midst of all the protests. And uh, we had a, a suspect, Hakeem Littleton, that while we were in the middle of an arrest situation, investigating a quadruple homicide that happened a week prior. So we're making an arrest without incident. Uh, this suspect, Littleton, approached our officer at very close range, took a gun out of his pocket, and began firing at the officer. It is, by the grace of God, this officer was not struck by gunfire. Imagine just two feet away. Uh, and so that officer, the hero that he is, uh, took him to the ground. But as he was doing that, the suspect continued to fire. Uh, it was then his partners who were also on the scene that were able uh, to address this threat and we, we, no officer got hurt. But then something happened. Now what I've always done, you know, within generally within an hour of an officer involved shooting, particularly if it's during day hours when the media is out, I get in front of it, talk to our community and let them know what took place. Recognizing that it's early, events are going to change. This is what we know right now. But when you have a trust-based relationship with folks, uh, when you speak, they believe you. This is what happened on this kind. And this is something that we see trending across the country and happened recently in Chicago. Once that happened, once I got out and made my statement within an hour of the shooting, they, these domestic terrorists, as I like to refer to them, went on social media and, and narrated the following. They just simply said the Detroit Police Department approached an unarmed black man who was seated on his front porch, shot him 15 times unprovoked. They assassinated him. After that narration, probably within a half hour, 300 plus converged on our crime scene where we're doing our investigation. An angry mob who began to attack our officers they used projectiles. Uh, and then from that, they started to march over to uh, the station that covered that area, the 12th precinct. So they began to march, angry, still attacking the police. And so uh, I knew I had to do one thing and one thing quickly. While yes, I got out in front and put out a statement. Now I needed to refute the false narrative they were putting out. And so fortunately, our officers' body-worn uh, cameras were, operation, were in operation. 
Uh, we got some great video footage, both in-car video and body warm, that totally refuted the lie. And so when I did a press conference within hours of this situation, as I was doing the press conference, many of the protesters who by now were in front of our 12th precinct, they were watching my press conference. At the conclusion, more than half left. We saved the city from burning. We saved the city from probably the first time during the weeks of, of unrest where we would have probably seen uh, an uprising, but we didn't. And it's because the body-worn camera refuted the lie. And this is what we're dealing with today. Uh, you remember the shooting uh, recently in Chicago that resulted in two or three days of, of looting uh, and rioting on Miracle Mile. Yep. Behind an officer-involved shooting. And in that officer-involved shooting, the narrative that they, the mob, put out was false. But the problem was, and again, this is not a criticism of my friends in Chicago. Uh, they couldn't refute it. They didn't have anything that, uh, that could refute it. And, and so they had to deal with the violence that was after the shooting incident. And so we've been very fortunate here in, in Detroit, but I think the message is clear. We have to be better. Uh, we have to continue to be transparent and get it out to our community. And once you have developed a relationship uh, with your community, there's an expectation. Hey, we know the chief is gonna give us a briefing on this. And we know if it's a bad shooting, he's gonna call it that. And if not, he's gonna call it. Right, right. And that's the thing, you support your officers, but if you, and we always say this, nobody hates a bad cop more than good cops, more than that, the rest of us. That, Exactly. And so, you know, you, you support your people, but I know that when somebody screws up and, you know, we screw up, that you're also going to take action. And it appears that the community knows that as well. Now, when you did experience unrest that you, you immediately were able to tamp down, do, what, do you get the out of town protesters or are you able to put a stop to that before it go, gets out of control? And that's why I explained our local activists. Uh, so these outside agitators have one goal, to incite violence, mm -hmm. disrupt, you know, and they're the one that's making these unrealistic demands who don't speak for the city. Unfortunately, in some cities, and we've seen the images uh, across America, where these outsiders come in incite violence, mobilize the locals. We saw it, you saw it in Chicago. Yeah. The, the folks that were engaging in riotous behavior were locals, but it was incited by who? They couldn't get traction in Detroit. And so what was interesting about Detroit, we got a call from a local motorcycle gang and they called us and say, look, we don't like what we're seeing. We don't like the fact that our police officers are being attacked. We don't like the threat of burning and looting. This is our city and we're just not gonna stand by and let outsiders come here and try to incite violence. We're not gonna tolerate it. 
do you have a problem with us standing by? Of course, we said, no problem. And so, of course, you look at these little uh, outside terraces, I like to call them. You know the ones I'm talking about. They wear a buck, buck 25 when they're soaking wet. They have nothing else to do in their life but be disruptive. They have another agenda, and we know what the agenda is. And then you see these big buffed up motorcycle gang members just standing by. Uh, chilling effect. And it wasn't just them. We had local gang members who have also expressed that they come through our neighborhoods, uh, it's not gonna be right. So the best thing, uh, Chief, you need to do is keep them out of our neighborhood. That's the kind of support. And then when you talk about activists that haven't always agreed with this department, but we can come together, sit at a table and talk about the differences uh, and they're okay. Anytime we have an officer involved shooting, um, one of my assistant chiefs reached out Call the activists and said, uh, we had to use fatal force. Here's what took place. Hey, thanks for letting us know. So that goes a long way in relationship building. And I really, I got a taste of this when I was a chief in Cincinnati because Cincinnati made a commitment to their community that following any officer involved shooting, the mayor, city manager, and police chief would conduct a press briefing within 24 hours of that shooting. Now, of course, I've taken it to another level, particularly today more so than ever, is that I try to get out in front as soon as possible. And even if I don't have all of the facts, at least people in our community know, yes, we have an investigation. This is what we know right now. But just keep in mind, this could change. And they appreciate that. And because of that, they've come to support us. I think that honesty is really what people want, you know, as opposed to, and again, back in the old days, before social media, you know, we wanted to wait until we had all the facts before we spoke to the media and spoke to the public. Um, now it's okay, and, and you're a great example of this. It's okay to say, Here's what we know now, but right. things can change. And then when things do change, or if they change, you get out in front of it. And I know you did that in, in Cincinnati as well. Chief, Absolutely. another thing that you did in both, uh, and I think this started in, when you were in Maine, but in Cincinnati and now in Detroit, is you're one of the few uh, big city urban chiefs who has embraced uh, legal gun ownership and, and Absolutely. to to uh, arm themselves with training and do it legally. Um, can you talk about that for a minute? Because that's something that we've always admired about you. Well, and I thank you. And I, I'm certainly, I'm a Second Amendment guy. I don't, I'm unapologetic about it. Uh, I, I got criticized by a former president of these United States because I took such a strong position. I've been a practitioner now for 44 years. And, uh, you know, I have an opinion too, just like anybody else. And what a lot of folks don't understand, we have a lot of CPL holders, law-abiding citizens, people of colors. And I'm gonna tell you something else, lots of women, yes, law-abiding citizens that, that carry legally. And so I support it. 
And I made the statement and I continue to maintain that it certainly has had an impact on robberies because um, suspects now know, you know, robbery is a crime of opportunity. And if your opportunity is compromised because you're not certain as to whether or not this person is armed, uh, and then you hear the stories about law-abiding armed citizens that have used fatal force uh, to mitigate a threat, an imminent threat to their life, it kind of sends a, a, a message to the criminals, not here. And, and so I support it. And I know so many Detroiters, both in Detroit, Metro Detroit, heck, around this country, uh, support my stance on that. And I'm going to continue to support that. And so I think problem comes with a lot of with a lot of big city chiefs is generally speaking, uh, they're not on the same page uh, with their bosses, generally the mayor. Uh, and because of that, they opt to remain quiet. And some opt to remain quiet to not even offer support to the men and women who wear this uniform uh, doing this job, which is sad. You know, politics are very tricky today. But fortunately, I have a mayor that while we don't agree on everything, he doesn't, uh, he's not a Second Amendment, not to the degree I am, of course, but he supports the work that we do here. Uh, he's expressed it publicly. And so that certainly makes my life a lot easier. And certainly I know uh, the men and women of the Detroit Police Department appreciate when I get up, stand up, and especially when we have uh, these domestic terrorists that come into our city and they're putting out false narratives and I stand up against it uh, because it's the right thing to do. I mean, when you see what happened in Seattle over the summer, uh, my heart went out to Chief Bess because she wanted to do more, but how do you force police officers from their home, a police station, take over six city blocks and then tell the police you're not welcome here. And when they get called, in this instance, two people were murdered in that chop zone, as they called it, yeah. and one sexually assaulted, and the police could not go in and conduct a proper investigation. Shame on the city of Seattle. And it's no wonder why businesses have said, and I've heard it, we're leaving. Yep. We don't feel supported. This is an economic issue, too. Well, and, that, and that's the thing is we're seeing in uh, cities like Seattle, Oregon, Chicago, New York, those police officers in those cities who are seeing the good leaders retire, like Chief Best, they're seeing uh, no support from their mayors and their city councils. They're leaving and they're going to uh, North and South Dakota and Wyoming and Arizona. Um, are you able to recruit? good police officers still from Detroit? Absolutely. In fact, we still recruit. In fact, we had some officers that uh, over a period when we were losing officers to higher paying police jobs, guess what's happening right now? We're seeing a trend. They're coming home. They want to come back. And what they have said to me, because I'm always curious, I said, you know, I thought you went off to Warren, Michigan. I just had a, a conversation with a young officer who left for Warren, Michigan, higher paid job. I said, I guess you thought the grass was greener on the other side. He said, what we have here in Detroit is family and leadership. And so 
that's why people are coming home. And so really that's a testament uh, to this team and what we do uh, and what we provide here in the city of Detroit. Chief, what do you think people around the country can do as they listen to you to support their own police departments, their own officers, um, to, to do some of the things that you have been able to do in Detroit? Be courageous. Hey, leadership's not easy, but if you do the right thing for the right reason and never forget who is doing the work. See, the way I look at the world through the lens I operate in is that, you know, I'm a police officer. I'm an American police officer. That's where I started and that's where I will finish. And I never forgot that. And I never forgot what it was like coming up through the ranks and just uh, the disdain that I had for some who were frankly, you know, just absent. Didn't support the men and women out there you know, snubbed them. And, and so, and I know you haven't been in the business for a while. You know leaders or people who are in those positions, I was calling managers mm -hmm. who rose through the ranks, who didn't want to have anything to do uh, with police officers. And these are the folks that are getting it done. When they shut down, what happens now? It's one thing to be standing here as a leader, and, and I get many thanks for not just uh, our police officers, but from the community. But I remind the community, it's those men and women out there who do this work. The very least we could do is show the deep appreciation because today, unlike when I started, and I'm not saying it was easy 44 and a half years ago, but what I will tell you is what these young men and women face today is unprecedented. There's been no other time during my career, I've seen anything like this. So my hat goes off to each and every one of them. So my message is simple. Show some appreciation. Be bold and courageous and stop putting your finger up in the, and blowing to see which way the wind is blowing. You are the epitome of leadership in my eyes. And uh, I wish I had all day to talk to you, but I'm, I'm going to leave you with this. Someday I hope to hear from... Uh, uh, Governor Craig, and someday maybe President. <laughs> I'll leave you with that because you are uh, the epitome of leadership, sir. And we well, really appreciate you spending uh, spending the morning with us today. If you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org.